Father in heaven, we do praise you so much, Lord, that uh, we can rejoice, that we can find our shelter and our hope in you. Thank you so much, Lord, for setting us free. You delivered us from sin and death, and you promise a new home forever with you, and we praise you for that. Thank you and praise you that you are truly the only king forever. Lord, there is no one like you. There is one God, and you reign over all. Lord, you are exalted. We praise you. We love you. We thank you. And we pray that you would meet with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome here. If you're just joining us, my name is Pastor Jeremy Lobdell. If you're just joining us, I'm sorry, you missed out on some really great music, but welcome here. Uh, we are so glad you're worshiping with us today. I have a question for you as we start, and that question is, what is your favorite drinking water? Go ahead, shout it out. I'm listening. Spring water. Aquafina. What was that? Oh, that's a good one. Well water from your grandmother's farm. I am impressed. That must have some really great memories. What? Sorry, what was that? Whatever is cheapest. Very good. Tap water, well water, whatever's cheapest. Well, let me show you what mine is. My favorite drinking water is Dasani. Now, there's a story behind that, and I won't get into that today, but I think what you'll see in our text today in Mark chapter 9 is that there's a lot of water. Even getting there, there's a lot of water. we got Great Lakes, the Atlantic Ocean, the Mediterranean Sea, the Sea of Galilee, and that's where we will stop. And so I'd like to take you there with me today. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the ninth chapter of the book of Mark. Mark chapter 9, we're going to pick up in verse 33 and following. Mark chapter 9, beginning in the 33rd verse. It says this, And they came to Capernaum, and when Jesus was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing along the way? But they kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. John said to him, uh, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able to soon afterwards speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, Whoever gives a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Now, in the next few moments, I'd like to answer two questions from this text. And the first of which is this. It is what? What does Jesus want us to do? Clearly, the disciples thought it was one thing. They were wrong. Often we think it's something and often we're wrong. But what does Jesus himself really want? What does Jesus want us to do? The second question follows that, and it's why? Why should I do it? I mean, somebody may want something, but what's the motivation? Or what's in it for me? Or why should I do it? So number one, what? Number two, why? What does Jesus want? And why should we do it? Let's start out then in verse 33, and we see this. The first thing it says is they came to Capernaum. Stop. Um, I thought about doing something fun, like taking us to Capernaum today. And so my first thought was to get a globe. And then I started thinking about it. And I, oh, that doesn't work very well. Instead, let's try this. Today we're going to go to Capernaum. And we're going to start out with our own little globe, Google Earth. And you know where we live, right here in front of these, in the middle of these great big lakes. We're going to leave the big lakes, cross the pond, the North Atlantic Ocean, and go all the way across Europe and the Mediterranean Sea. And then we will end up in the land of Israel. So hang on, buckle up, here we go. All right, here we are in the nation of Israel. I'm going to zoom out a little bit so you can see where we're at. Um, you see over here is Europe. You got Spain and France and Italy and Greece. There's Turkey, which ancient day would have been Asia Minor. This is the Mediterranean Sea, North Africa, Egypt. You can see the Nile River along here and... Uh, um, Fertile Delta down there. Cross, leaving Egypt, crossing the Sinai Peninsula, eventually you get to the land of Israel. Beautiful place and one of the most important places on the face of the planet. Now, back in the day when there wasn't much plane travel, um, everybody had to go through here. If you were coming from Europe, you would go through this land bridge. If you were coming from Africa, you would go through here. If you are coming from Asia to trade with Either of these continents, you would as well. So basically, if you lived in this spot, you lived in the land bridge between the continents. As a result, everybody was walking through your backyard. It was a very desirable spot because of the trade and commerce. As a result, as kingdoms grew, um, it was pretty much always in the crosshairs of one conqueror or another. So if you lived there, you either had to have a really strong God or a lot of luck. And I think obviously you know which one's more effective. But here's the land of Israel. And we will zoom in a little bit. So I can show you where we're going today. As you get closer and closer. You see two tiny bodies of water there. Um, one in the north. This one is the Sea of Galilee. And the one in the south is the Dead Sea. They're connected by the Jordan River. Which flows uh, from the north to the south. 
unlike the Nile. And this, then, is the Jordan River Valley. Over here is the wilderness, the coastal plain, and um, Jesus is going to do a lot of his initial ministry up north near his hometown of Nazareth. Eventually, he'll make his way down to the Passion for his Passion in Jerusalem um, in the south, in the capital city. But today, we're still in the northern section on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. So let me show you what that would look like too. In Capernaum, uh, you saw just a minute ago that I was talking about the Sea of Galilee. And that's in the north. Dead Sea's in the south. And if you were to fly in from, from uh, with a, like a helicopter or something like that, this is what you would see. This is the Dead Sea. Or sorry, this is the Sea of Galilee in the north. And here's a coastal village. You can see that the development only goes back a very short way because most of the people who lived here are fishermen. And that's why when Jesus called his disciples, he goes out, he calls the people who are living there, and naturally, they are fishermen. You can probably begin to pick up on the fact that there are some structures there. Um, this one looks pretty cool. It looks like some old monuments or buildings or something like that. And a more modern one, there's a old fence around it and a road and some gardens. So what do you say we go take a look at that and zoom in a little bit closer and see what we can find here in Capernaum. Closer we get, the more clear it becomes that one of the buildings is actually a synagogue. And you can go visit that synagogue today. You can look around inside and see what it would look like. And if you pay careful attention, you'll notice that the bricks are different colors. The ones you see on top are mostly white, but the foundation is black. And then what archaeologists or your tour guide will tell you is that the temple or the synagogue that's there right now is actually not the original. The original was on the black stone. This one is from the second or third century, which is the year 200. The year, well, second or third century. I'll catch that later. Second or third century. And then the one that's on top was built on the same foundation. So you can see it a little bit closer here. It's this similar structure, same foundation, different eras. And as you know, if you're going to build any sort of um, building project, you're going to need donors. And much like today, if something is built and people want to write their names on it, so too 2,000 years ago when this uh, synagogue was built, donors were requested and they got to carve their names or have their names carved in one of those pillars that you saw earlier. So this is what it would look like most likely in Jesus' time, only 100 years uh, before this, probably on the black foundation, in this very spot, uh, the Gospel of John tells us that Jesus said these things, that's the bread of life sermon, as he taught in the synagogue in Capernaum. So in this very spot, on the black stones underneath, Jesus himself would have walked and taught. And you can go and visit that today. 
And you can spend as much time as you would like there sort of wandering around. And once you let that sink in for a little bit, you might want to go next door and go into that garden area that we saw earlier. If you did, you would notice that there's whole bunch more runes, a bunch of these fishermen's homes, and then there's that great big fancy structure in the back. Um, the reason for that is, is because that structure is over the top of a fisherman's house who we know very well, and that fisherman's name is the Apostle Peter. This is uh, Peter's house, where Jesus would have had his home base, um, coming and going as he did his ministry there in Galilee on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. So now there's a um, Franciscan church, I guess you'd call this First Franciscan Capernaum or something like that, over the top of Peter's house, appropriately constructed of stone because Peter's name Petros can also double like Petra the rock. And Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. So you can go there today and see where Peter's house was on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. And that's important because that's where we're going today. And you see that the Sea of Galilee is where Jesus did a lot of ministry. For example, if he got invited to a wedding, he might go out here to Cana. And if they run out of wine, he could help them out a little bit. Or he might go back home and then hear that there's a funeral in another city like Nain. And he might want to go there and perhaps help the widow out as well. And as he did these many miracles, like casting out demons and Gennesaret, word would spread and he'd become even more popular. And so instead of teaching in the synagogue, he'd have to go someplace where there's more seating, like out here to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, where they could fit four or 5,000 people and he could teach there as well. So this is the northern section of Israel where Jesus is doing a lot of ministry, and that's where we pick up our sermon today in verse 33. They came to Capernaum, this historical place, this real person, and Jesus was in the house of Peter there. And he asked them the following question, what were you guys discussing along the way? Now, as I said earlier, there's two things I want to point out in this text. And the first question is what? What does Jesus want us to do? One of the things I like about Jesus is that he doesn't necessarily just jump to the point, but he gets there often in a very interesting way. And he's going to do that by asking a question here. They've been traveling. They're probably walking along. He's leading the way. They're chatting in the background. And he knows they're chatting. And they think they're chatting quietly. But what they don't remember is that it doesn't matter how quiet they talk. Jesus knows their thoughts, and he knows their hearts. And so regardless of what they're discussing or keeping inside, he knows what's going on inside of them, and he knows what's going on inside of you and me, even right now. Each and every moment of the day, Jesus knows exactly what's going on inside of you. But just to prime the pump a little, he asks, what are you guys talking about? And they kept silent. Probably a good move here. Because, as it turns out, they're discussing who would be the greatest. You can imagine they got in some little discussion as someone says, well, I want to be, no, I want to be. Earlier they'd fought over whose turn it was to bring the bread. And later you'll see them getting a lot of other discussions. These guys don't always get along. They frequently argue and they fight and disagree. 
And Jesus sort of leans into that and says, what are you guys talking about? And perhaps they even remember not too long ago when Jesus talked about his coming suffering, his death, burial, and resurrection. And Peter said, no, 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 you shouldn't do that. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. And in the back of their mind, that reel might be playing along. And they're thinking, hmm, if I answer this question, am I going to get the get behind me, Satan? I'm not sure I want to jump out on this limb. So Jesus asked, what are you guys talking about? Silence. It's a funny part of the scripture in my mind. They're kind of like twiddling their thumbs going, me? Yeah, right. Jesus sat down and called them over. Hey, come here. And without even having answered his question, he answers their thoughts. He says to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and he uses the kiddo as the illustration and he puts him out in front of him and then he picks him up and he cradles the child in his arm. And basically what Jesus is doing at this point is he is challenging their values. Just before this, in verse 31, we picked up in verse 33. In verse 31, 32, Jesus tells them again that he's going to suffer and be crucified and buried and risen. And these guys are just not getting it. Instead of talking about Jesus' suffering and how they're going to be called upon to suffer and sacrifice and how they're going to make it through that difficult time, instead what they're discussing along the way is, hey man, who gets, who's on first? I want to be the best. Don't, don't I get to be? And they're fighting about it. They're just totally missing it. And what's happening is very important because Jesus is confronting their cultural values with his kingdom values. Hear that clearly, church. Jesus is confronting their cultural values with his kingdom values. See, they're wanting to be the best. They're wanting to be on top. They're wanting to be number one. They're wanting to sit on the right or the left or this or that. But Jesus is saying, "Uh uh-uh, no, no, no. It's totally opposite of what you think. We can look at this and say, all oh, those silly disciples. Boy, if I would have been there, I would have got that. Not really. So we do the exact same thing. They're longing for the nation of Israel to be number one and be on top. And when it is, they want to be first in line. And guess what I hear people saying all the time today? America's number one. We should be on top. Let's make America great again. Is that what Jesus is teaching? See, when I read my Bible, I pick it up, I don't find the nation of America anywhere. Instead, what I see in Matthew 6.33 is seek ye first the kingdom of God. There's nothing about America in here. And our job is not to make America great. Our job is to make Jesus, great. Our job is to pursue the kingdom of God. Well, I got my rights by George. No, you don't. You don't have any rights. You gave those up when you decided to follow Jesus, just like he did. 
When he came from heaven to earth, he gave up everything he had in order to do the Father's will. And if you want to follow him, if I want to follow him, we get to do the same thing. We don't get to stomp our feet and demand our rights. Jesus never did that. Instead, he willingly laid down his life and picked up his cross. So my challenge to you is this. I know we're not meeting in person right now, but don't come to church wearing a MAGA hat. Don't come to church wearing a Confederate flag hat. In fact, if you come to church, you probably shouldn't be wearing any hats at all. Instead, take off your hat and pick up a crown of thorns. Because that's what your Savior did for you. It's not about making America great. It's not about making me great. It's not about making anybody else great. It's about seeking the kingdom first. Disciples didn't get that, and we don't either. We try to twist and turn it and make America Christian, God's kingdom, whatever. The future is not America. The future is the kingdom of God. Now I know that pushes up against some people, and there are probably some that will call me a flaming liberal. Just wait till I start talking about abortion and marriage. Then you'll call me a flaming conservative. I suppose if I'm making both ends mad, I'm in the right spot. But reality, what I believe is happening right now in our culture is this, is it's hammer time. It's hammer time. And what do I mean by that? I mean that God loves to smash idols. We've built all kinds of idols. We have racial idols. We have entertainment idols. We have sports idols. We have money idols. We have pride idols. We got all kinds of things that we've constructed. And the Lord allows this microscopic organism to blow through our land. All of a sudden, everything we thought we could control and determine and plan is blowed away. And it hurts because the things we love begin to fall. And then once they do, we've got to really look in the mirror and examine ourselves and say, well, what in the world is going on then? What kingdom was I about? If everything I love is taken away, then do I really love the right things? Because what we should love most can never be taken away. Therefore, if what we love most is taken away, it means we love the wrong thing. Because what we should love most can never be taken away. God's kingdom and God's value. God's in control. God is good, and Jesus went. And that can't be changed, come COVID, hell, high water, or anything else. So what does Jesus want us to do? He wants us to stop worrying about our own kingdom, stop fighting about who's going to be first, or who's going to be best, or who's going to be whatever, and start serving him like a servant or a child. You lay down your rights, and you pursue something other than your own interest. Seek ye first, The kingdom of God. Number one, what does Jesus want us to do? He wants to give up our rights and serve. 
just like he did. It's not rocket science, but both the disciples and we miss it because of our hard hearts, our sinful flesh, our selfish desires want to put our stuff first. Right now, all of our stuff is being blown away. And Jesus is reminding us, seek first his kingdom. Then, after that, all those other things. Number one, what does he want us to do? Give up our rights and serve. Number two, why? Why should I? And here's the encouraging portion of the sermon. I come from the town of Springfield, Missouri. Now, not many of you may necessarily recognize that town other than the name Springfield, but that's also the home of um, the Holiday Inn. Uh, John Q. Hammonds, the original founder, was a citizen of Springfield, and as a result, he's kind of a big name. There's John Q. Hammonds Arena, there's Hammonds Field, there's a Juanita K. Hammonds Hall for the Performing Arts, there's a John Q. Hammonds School of Architecture, there's all kinds of things named Hammonds. And perhaps, just maybe, you live in a town like that too, where many of the buildings have the same last name. And so, the motivation that our culture gives us for service or sacrifice or giving is to put our name on it. If you give enough, we'll put a little plaque up so people remember you. If you give enough, we'll put you on the front page of the paper. And while advertising on page two may cost you $50,000, advertising on page one only costs you a little bit of public service. As a result, you can get your name out and market yourself, let everybody know who you are. (laughs) But Jesus is going to challenge those things. He's going to say the goal is not to get your name inscribed on some pillar in a synagogue somewhere. But instead, the goal is to give up your rights and humbly serve to the extent that your left hand and your right hand have no idea what the other is doing. Make it a secret. Don't tell other people. Do it for Christ and Christ alone. And if that is the case, if you are doing it for Jesus, hear that important caveat. If you are doing it for Christ and Christ alone, then you know what he says? Well, let me read it to you. Verse 41. Mark chapter 9. Verse 41. Jesus says, For truly, or amen, I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Jesus says that even something so small as a cup of water will be rewarded tenfold in the kingdom of God. That's a lot different than having your name on a building. I mean, think about it. If you give this water to someone, they open up the lid, Take a drink, pour it out, and it's all gone. Nobody knows it's there. Nobody knows that it even happened. But here in Mark chapter 9, verse 41, you have the assurance, you have the promise, you have the guarantee of the word of Christ himself 
that not one single drop of effort that you pour out on his behalf will go unnoticed. The Lord will reward. God sees, God knows. God reads your mind, he understands your heart, and it doesn't matter if it's a billion dollars or ten cents, whatever you give to him, even if it's water that pours out on the ground and evaporates and nobody ever knows. By no means, by no means may it never be that your work will go unnoticed. Every single cup, every single drop, every trash bag taken out, every diaper changed, every teeth brushing, every report filed, every phone call returned, every email answered, every single keystroke you hit. If it is done for the glory of God, whether it's in your basement or anywhere else, the Lord will reward. The Lord sees, the Lord knows, the Lord will reward. That's a really encouraging thought. Um, and it's a challenge to process. I mean, here we are listening to the sermon on Sunday morning. And say, yeah, amen. God will reward. But it's hard to do. And it's hard to follow through. I know that throughout the week, I myself sometimes get discouraged. And this has been an encouraging thought to me this week is this, is to look at this text where Jesus makes us this promise and ask myself this question. What am I not trusting Jesus for right now? If I'm feeling discouraged, what am I not trusting Jesus for right now? If I go throughout my day and there's an interruption and I feel stressed because all of a sudden time is running short, what am I not trusting Jesus for? Do I not think that he can help me get it done with less time? If I know there's a conflict or a difficulty or personality issue or whatever over here, do I not think that Jesus can handle that? If I'm concerned about finances, if I'm concerned about health, what is it that at this moment I'm not trusting Jesus for? And whatever it is, whatever that answer is, I have to understand that Jesus is bigger and Jesus is more powerful. As a result, it helps me change my mind and redirect my thoughts and conform my heart to focus on Christ and His kingdom. If I think my work is unnoticed, I'm not being affirmed, if I want some encouragement, I need to trust Jesus with that. And believe that when He says, every single cup, not a single drop, will be poured out without His noticing, I need to believe that. What does God want? He wants us to serve. And when we serve, we can be assured that every single cup, every last drop, when poured out for him, the Lord will reward. Whew, I've been doing a lot of preaching. I'm getting kind of thirsty. 
Mm-mm. That is mighty fine. That is good water. Are you thirsty? You need something? You need someone? A lot of times Christians tell you, go to Jesus, he'll fill you up. What does that mean? It means that when you are thirsty for something, like affirmation, like encouragement, like hope, like strength, you ask yourself that question. What am I not trusting Jesus for right now? And when you see that thing and you hand it over to him, then you realize I can be poured out and trust him to fill me back up. What does he want us to do? To serve. Why should we do it? Because the Lord will reward. Father in heaven, we thank you for today. Thank you for Jesus, his amazing grace and his mercy. Thank you for your love, your power and your goodness. Lord, I don't know how well I communicated this text, but I pray that something important will get through. That you will really speak to our hearts, that you would change us, that you would affirm us, that you would encourage us, that you would convict us, and that you would cause us to trust in you no matter what. Knowing that when we are poured out, not a single drop, not a single drop will go unnoticed. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.